Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's what I taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect, just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys, part of the Once Upon a Podcast Network. This is George Soroy, and thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for tuning in for over 250 episodes. I hope you're also tuning in for the other shows on this network, and we have some very exciting news about the network coming very soon, so keep an eye out for that. Those who know me from my college days know that I started out in the theater arts department at Marymount Manhattan College with a concentration in acting. I thought that was going to be my journey, but when nothing came of it, my love for writing took over, which was expected because I took plenty of writing classes in school to build up my skills, and including two classes of playwriting and writing for television. I didn't know it at the time, but while I was trying to figure out what to do with myself, I should have been following the career of Catherine Butterfield (laughs) because she was busy blazing an incredibly inspiring trail as an actress, a playwright, and a screenwriter. After working in various regional theater companies, she would go on to star in her own New York productions of her own plays, which drew comparisons to Tom Stoppard and John Guare. So she's in very good company there. And while still writing for the stage, she has been a writer and producer for shows like Ghost Whisperer and Party of Five. She has several other screenplays to her credit as well. And she is now a novelist, which I'm really excited to talk about. This is someone I'm very grateful to know and even more grateful that she reached out to me to have her share her journey with us. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you, Catherine Butterfield. Catherine, how are you? I am fine. How are you? I am I am doing great. So thank happy you so to much. be on your show. <laughs> and thank you so much for being here. This is yet another an, another success story with Podmatch because podmatch.com I have I have sung their praises many times. Still haven't gotten a dime from them, but I don't care <laughs> because I'm having a blast be, being a part of that community and there's so many great guests that have reached out and have made an impact on this show. And I'm happy to say that you're the latest one to do so. So thank you. Oh, that's great news. Yeah, thank you. So before we dive into your career that really got my attention, I would love to hear about the novel that you have coming up, which is coming out this month, correct? It is. It's coming out February 19th. It's going to be available at all bookstores and Amazon and everywhere you go, which is fun. And it is a it's a historical novel, actually. Really? I was, yeah, I was turned on to this story when I was in France a couple of years ago. And I found myself in a little town called Nairac, France. Mm-hmm. And we, there is a, a chateau there, a crumbling chateau, which mm-hmm. I was dining right next to. And my host told me that it was where Marguerite de Valois married her husband, Henry of Navarre, who went on to be the king of France. Wow. And, this this couple was very celebrated for all their crazy parties and sort of the playful behavior that was going on in Iraq during their youthful years. They were so famous that William Shakespeare wrote Love's Labor's Lost about the two of them. No kidding. Wow. 
Yeah. So when I first heard about this, I was like, oh, I guess I should look into Henry. He sounds cool. But mm-hmm. the more I looked into it, the more I realized Marguerite was the gal for me. She mm. had written memoirs, which you can actually access on the Gutenberg Press online and read. And they're a bit archaic and there you got to you got to go through the fancy language and all this stuff. But what I realized was I really, really admire this woman and she has taken a big hit, not only in her lifetime. Mm-hmm. You can hear the cheers, I suppose, going on around. <laughs> uh, she's taken a big hit because she was politically unpopular in her time for marrying a Protestant. She was a mm. Catholic. And so the printing press had been invented and there were all sorts of pamphlets disseminated saying terrible things about her. That mm. she was some, of course, they always go with women. They always call them sluts and whores. So she was accused of having sex with her brothers. She was accused of having been bred for sex at the age of 11. I mean, just ugly, gross. Wow. And unfortunately, this reputation lasted. I mean, to today, even there was a movie called Queen Margot, and she's just like this hot, lusty babe played Mm -hmm. by Isabella Johnny, I think. And there was a pamphlet put out called The Satiric Divorce that just was nasty stuff. And Mm. when I read her memoirs, which, by the way, she's the first woman to ever write and publish her memoirs. The first one. No kidding. And yet nobody knows about her. Wow. When I read them, I thought, I love her. And I feel as Mm -hmm. though I need to tell her story. She has been misrepresented terribly. Yeah. And it was, I started writing it while I was in France in this beautiful town mm-hmm. and walking the gardens that of the park that she herself had designed while she was there. And I felt like I was being visited by her. I felt like mm. she was saying, fix, fix this, mm. clear my name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I started writing it in France. And at mm-hmm. first I thought it was going to be screenplay right. because I sort of my, my thing. Your forte. Yeah. Yeah. And then I thought, man, I am so sick of writing stuff and then having it stolen or writing stuff and losing control of it. Which like having it watered down. You know, watered or, down or going yeah. into turnaround or you don't own it anymore or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you write a novel, it's, it's yours. yours. Yep. And so I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make nice. this a novel. Let somebody buy the film rights. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know? There you go. Then we can talk. Yeah. And then it can do what they want. But I've got a novel out right now that, that tells her story the way I think she would want it told. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm really proud of it. I never thought I'd write a novel. This is the final frontier and I'm really excited about it. I am thrilled for you. I, I've I've gone the noveling route myself quite a oh, few have times. You? And oh yeah. Yep. And it's 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 something that I'm working on right now. Just have part three of my of my own trilogy that's that's in development and No kidding. I yeah, yeah. This it's 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 one of those things where just like, yeah, I am I'm really thrilled with it but i'm also very intimidated by it because i was so happy with how part two came out so so it's one of those things where just like getting the getting that trilogy done boy yeah it's tough because you got to stick that landing at the end and and yeah you want to make sure that it's that it's worth the trip for the readers to go through the entire journey not just part one and not just part two but the whole thing and at the beginning that it was going to be a trilogy Yes. 
Yeah, you did. I, I did. Yeah. This 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 character has been with me for over thirty years now, and he's gone through a lot of different iterations, and he finally came through in novel form. And he was wow. he's some, yeah, he's someone that has gone through a few different publishers. He's with a new one right now, and they're just like, well, we, like we're happy to take on the trilogy. We just need Fantastic. a finished trilogy. So what's the like, What's the genre? A young adult science fiction. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I love, yeah. I, as a kid, I loved science fiction. I, I, this is something that I grew up on and it's something that it's, it offers me a chance to do my own take on the hero's journey. So it's, I, I am You're really going to have to excited, send me the really link. About that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I'll, I'll be happy to send, send information about that. I love talking oh, yeah. about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like when I'm talking about it, that also means like, okay, you got to get that, that third part done. And it's just like, well, it's, it's sitting on my computer. I'm working on it, but it's still good for you that you, you know, envisioned it as a trilogy. Oh, I'm not sure how to follow up the Marguerite story, but everyone tells me I'm supposed to. Well, it's, it, well, Regarding the process of writing a novel, before we get for, further into into your own origin stories and everything, what was what was the experience like actually writing a novel for the first time? Was it as fulfilling as you thought it would be? It was more so. I was yeah. always afraid to write a novel. I don't know about you, but I my genre has always been plays and TV and film and mm-hmm. very dialogue heavy because yep. I started as, out as an actress. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of intuited the way things should sound. I go a lot by how the words, the, yeah. the, the words that people speak. And I thought, I don't know, is that going to be right for a novel? I, I don't know the names of all the trees. How can I write a novel? I don't know the names of all the trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's that's one of the things that you that uh, that's always that's always fun about about that. And, and in terms of like uh, writing a science fiction. One of the things that that's a lot of fun is that like, yeah, you can come up with all these different, all, all these different out there scenarios, all these different ca- kinds of characters. You can make you up have the names some, of the trees, but you have to have some realism that's based in there. Yeah. Like yeah. one of the, one of the great things that I, that I was saying once when I was working on part two was that I envisioned like this big battle sequence on top of top of the rock, which is the observation deck at Rockefeller Center in New York City. Oh, I worked there for two years. I did too. What did you do? I did uh, 09 to 11. Oh, I, w- I, d- I worked on Saturday Night Live. No kidding. Early. Yeah. No Did kidding. you ever go up on that roof? That I mean, that's that's where I worked. That was the observation deck. They because the, they. Oh they no, turned, I'm talking about the one. Not the rainbow room. Not like not not the rainbow not the rainbow room itself. Like it was. No, like I know, but higher, there's but. a there's a place up there that isn't commercial where if you climb out a window. All the pages oh and and tour guides climbed out there and would smoke pot and stuff. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that must be why they they started the observation deck. I think it was in 05 when they did that because like, it was probably just like wow, like they're coming they're coming up there to get the pages and bring them downstairs. It's like wow, this is a good view. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's do something. Up let's here. let's charge people to come up here. Yeah. <laughs> But that I envisioned like a, a big battle, a, a big sword fight. I was saying like it would be really cool to have a sword fight up here. But then it was just like, how are they going to get the sword past security? Like that's right. what I was thinking. Like because I'm dealing with this character who's like a god in human form, and he's he's there's a a lot of a lot of science fiction elements that are that are playing up in this storyline. But but at the same time, I'm hung up on how's he going to get a sword past security. Right. Well, like, you have to because your reader's going to wonder that. Exactly. And exactly. you can't have their 
bull can you say bullshit on your show yeah why not <laughs> you can't have their bullshit detector go off yes exactly and i even talked about it with one of my with one of my colleagues there and i just said you're like how am i gonna get it past security and then she goes there there could be an event up there i was like oh my god you're right if there's an event, everyone's going up the other elevator bank. They don't go through security. So, ah. they, can, so they can go ahead and, and go up that way. And all of a sudden, it just opened things up. It's just like, now, what kind of event? It's because of this, 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 and this. And then that just, un- it just all of a sudden exploded with ideas. Yeah. Just from that one little suggestion. How fantastic. So, it's it's amazing what what, what keep that friend nearby. <laughs> oh I, yeah, I, I I am forever indebted to her for for putting that uh, little suggestion in my ear, but uh, but let's talk. But let's get get back to you here because I I was so fascinated when I read up about your story, and mm. I am really excited to hear about what I like to call the lightning bolt moment, and that's that moment in time when you experience something or see something, watch something on stage or screen, meet someone and just decide, Ooh, that's the direction I want to go in. That's the kind of life I want to live. You yeah. have different fields. Cause like there's the writing and there's the acting. What came first yeah. for you? I think they were a little bit simultaneous when I go back to my childhood, because I, I used to write plays for the neighborhood. I invite all the neighborhood kids. We had a little theater downstairs and, and we would use the garage sometimes. I'd, I'd put all the neighborhood kids in the play and invite everybody else. And there was a girl a few blocks over who had a competing theater. We were like <laughs> nine years old. She, she tended to do the melodramas and, and I would do th- you know, fairy tales a lot. But I would be in them too. So I guess it was kind of a double banger. But as I got older, I started to think I just want to be an actress. Mm-hmm. Or I forgot that I was a writer, even though I mm-hmm. kept a diary every day. Yeah. And and when I started getting work as an actress, I completely forgot because it kept me occupied and was really a great a great period in my life to be working in regional theater and in New York was really exciting. But then for me, I have to say some of it isn't just like light bulb moments like, oh, gosh, now I see exactly what I should do. A lot of it is discovering a roadblock Mm. and realizing I got to get around this roadblock. Yeah. If I'm going to keep my life interesting. Well, I like and that. Keep your I life had, interesting. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and I I had been doing regional theater for a long time. And it was starting to wear on me a little, going out of town all the time, coming back to New York. And everybody was like, oh, great. You did Head of Gobbler in Pittsburgh. Meant a lot to me. Meant nothing to anybody in New York. Hmm. So I realized I got to start writing stuff and appearing in New York. I got to find a way to do that. Yeah. So... It was a little tough at first because New York is a tough nut. But there was a place called the West Bank Cafe, and it's still there. It's mm-hmm. a fabulous place. I look at it as my grad school. Nice. And it was a, a little, it was a theater below a restaurant. It still is. Mm-hmm. And Louis Black ran the room. No kidding. And, yeah. And huh. he would do his comedy routine. He'd bring the paper and he'd shake it and get angry mm-hmm. and stuff. And everybody loved to go watch him foment. Yeah. And and then I had <laughs> I was a little shy in those days about push putting myself forward. But I had a very pushy boyfriend at the time mm-hmm. who said, let's go talk to Lou. You should get your one X up there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But we went and we talked to Lou and he read my stuff and he went, yeah, it's good. OK, so he would nice. open he would open for us for mm-hmm. all of us who did midnight shows. 
yeah. in at the West Bank. And I've got off this old videotape of him before he was even famous doing his routines. Wow. And so that pushed me in a new direction. That pushed me into writing and putting other people into it. Because yeah. after a while, I couldn't do it myself. Right. I, I didn't really want to do it myself. I started thinking, yeah, I would like to see what somebody else does with this. Mm-hmm. So I put I put other actors in, and first it was a two-character, and then it was a four-character, and pretty soon I had a nine-character play, which got picked up by the Manhattan Theater Club. Wow. And that one I starred in. Mm-hmm. And nice. So good, that, good move there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that really launched things for me. That's great. But it That's was kind of because I realized I can't keep going out of town like this. Mm-hmm. I can't keep coming back and having casting directors go, Oh, so good for you. You did a show in California, but what mm-hmm. have you done here? You yeah. Know? It's so yeah. hard. It really is. And yeah, that, uh, that sort of feeling, I, I totally get the, the feeling of, of building up the, the credits outside of New York. So that way, when you come to New York, you have it right there. It's almost like looking at, if you were to like to put a diagram, you put like a flat, like a, just one line, one vertical line on one side. And then on the other side, there's like a bunch of steps. Yeah. You can either, if you're elsewhere, before you get to New York and get the credits and everything, you can either go up those steps that way or something amazing can happen while you're in New York and you can go right up to the top. Yeah, that's right. But you do how people love to pigeonhole you. Yeah. And so if it looks on your resume, like all you ever do is go out of town and work at regional theaters they're a little less likely to give you that first break in the city. Mm. So I had to kind of give myself my first break in the city. And I feel like my whole entire career has been giving myself the break that somebody else should have given me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what you got to do. That's what, that's, <laughs> that's what you have to do. You have to give yourself that, that big break. They always you say do. that like, they always say that all oh, it's one of, one of my, one of my favorite people that I, that I know who is, also an accomplished author, Nicole Evelina. She's, she's been a good friend and everything. And she gave a, she gave a great, a great line on this show. She said, never count your nose because all it takes is one. Yes. Yes. And, which, which I love that. That's but a great after, one. After talking to you, it's just like, it's almost like that first. Yes. Has to come from yourself. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And sometimes you just have to create your own career practically. Yeah. Yeah. And My brother's done that. He was an actor for a long time and he created his own career as a consultant for these big corporations mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Now he's making millions of dollars. I'm there not doing go. that. Right, right. But yeah, but at the same time, at the same time, what you did was yeah. just as good. Yeah. It was just it as is. good because you were gratifying. I don't want to work with corporations. Right. You built yourself, you built up the credibility within yourself and yes. said I have done this, 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 and this. I'm ready now to do this. Yeah. And And this is a big thing with me lately. Lately, all I'm thinking about is the gatekeepers and how they keep you out. Yep. And how pissed off that makes me. And how you got to use... we're our own gatekeeper. Well, that's true, too. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people who want to give you a reason why your book won't work, why your play won't work, why... Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be in this play or you shouldn't do that. There's so many people. And it's really easy to say, oh, yeah, you're probably right. Mm. But you're, they're not right. Yeah. They're yeah. not right. Yeah. You're right. And they're, on, they're only right 
when you say they're right and you yes and when you let it daunt you yeah when you let it just go ahead and let it eat away at you to the Mm -hmm. point where you're asking yourself what am i doing right why am i fooling myself and all of a sudden you stop doing it that's right that's where that's where like it i I hate to be morbid about it but it's like you die inside yeah that's where the bitterness comes from isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you can't let that happen all the people that that never got their shot and everything they so many people just let that die within them yeah that's right and And they carry around a lot of anger at the people who got in their way and mm -hmm. i just figure if they're getting in your way walk around them figure Mm -hmm. out a way to walk around them yeah at some point they're while they're walking alongside you they're gonna hit their own wall and then you can go around it so that's right yeah and and so that i i'm i'm kind of proud of myself Gotta say. As well, you should be. As <laughs> as well, you should be. There have been so you many have, no's. <laughs> well, not only that, but there are so many people. There are millions of people that are out there that have said, "Oh, like I got this story in me. I got like I have. I gotta let this out. I gotta go ahead and do this and do that and everything." And they're still stuck at the starting gate. Years, yeah, that's right. years later. Yes. And not yes. only not only that, but you've already. You've already achieved, so you know, you've lapped them all already, and so that's one thing to, to keep in mind. And the other, but the other thing that I'm really fascinated about is that is that you built your own opportunities by yeah. getting yourself involved in your own work. Now, yeah. you now the first the first thing you you did was that the one man one woman show that you did. The first thing in New York. I think it was one of my one-act plays. I was in that. It was a two-character thing. But then I did do my one-woman show. It was called mm-hmm. Bobo's Birthday. Yeah. The stuff I was doing at the West Bank, though, was the stuff that led to my TV work, interestingly. One of the nights that I was performing, and a man named John Matoyan was in the audience. And he, mm-hmm. was, he worked for CBS in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And he came up to me afterwards and said, would you be interested in writing for TV? Now, that doesn't wow. happen very often. Wow. And I said, yeah, sure. That's, that's amazing. And, and so he gave me a TV movie to write. Wow. Just all of a sudden, just like, here's a TV movie. It, it wasn't well, really all well, of a sudden. They, it was like, well, here's, they, my, here's my card. Give me a call. Have like, you ever, did, they, did they say, like, this is, what, this is the kind of story we want to tell? What do you have in mind? Or was it? No. Were they giving you a They had a project that they needed rewritten. Oh, okay. And so I was, I think that's what it was. Yeah. It's called Daytona Blue, I think. And it was a cheesy TV movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and they weren't happy with it. And they were like, what can you do with it? I think they're sort of testing me a little bit. Mm, okay. And <clears throat> so I was like, yeah, this, I didn't say, yeah, this is bad, but it's like, <laughs> oh, I believe I have something to offer. And, but there are many fits and starts along the way, because then I also thought I had a job on a TV series and somebody said, come out. And an agent said, come out to L.A. and I'm going to work with you. And I came out to L.A. and she was like, what? Huh? I mean, mm. like, really? like she'd never see. Yeah, that was there. were Ooh. There's so mm. many setbacks. Yeah. Um, but that it did lead to my first TV work and. A couple of more TV movies and then eventually 
I'm trying to remember the chronology here because then I did also start working in features. And uh, at that point I was married and I had a little baby. So it was nice to be able to stay at home and, and work on features Yeah, and sort of call your own hours. Yeah. And that was, that was very, the great thing about it was it paid great. Oh yeah. But I never had my name on any of these things. Really? So because it was, it was a rewrite. Kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. There was only one time when one of my plays got optioned and I was working with Annette Benning and Stephen Frears on oh, wow. adapting my play into a movie. And that was a long, long process. And it went on for so long that Annette became too old for the role. Really? Oh, wow. <laughs> She's supposed wow. to be this sexy young mom. And mm-hmm. yeah, so the, the, and Stephen went off. Stephen took some jo- other job. It's just weird how things fall apart on you in, in LA. Yeah. Things that look amazing and get you all sorts of street cred and everybody's excited. Mm-hmm. And then some, it goes into turnaround or the big executive that was championing it gets fired or moves to another studio. Or And, w- and once that happens, the new exec, because the new executive, they, the last thing they want to do is, is do rubber stamp gonna... somebody else's project. Yep. And make no. them look good. Yep. No, absolutely not. And so it's a slow death because nobody wants to say that at first. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, well, who knows? Maybe. But you should just know that never happened. It's almost like getting a development deal. Like just once yeah. you get that is like Ivan Reitman once said, a development deal is like a ticket to hell. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So it's been, it's been fits and starts the whole way. Yeah. I found writing for television more gratifying than writing really? for film. Yeah. Um, it was, first of all, I, I found that I really did like working in a writer's room. It's, it's actually pretty fun, even when you're working on a dead serious drama, mm-hmm. to the writer's room is like filled with laughter and fun and smart people and good times and food. And, That's great. <laughs> yeah, money. It, it, it sounds like you're going into work at a writing retreat. Yeah, yes. It really sounds like that's that's what it is like in a writer's room. What when, yes. when it's working. When, when it's working. When it's not working, it's hell on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the one thing you don't want to do is it's to achieve your dream of being a writer, being paid for it, getting up getting set up like this, only to find out that the people that are there and the environment that's there is toxic. Toxic. So yeah. Yeah, and it can be so incredibly cutthroat. Mm. That was shocking to me. Yeah, how really people have the knives out for you that are smiling. They're very Iago like that way. Ooh. Not always. And one year will be different from another. Like the first season on one of my shows was just blissful. I loved it. Yeah. And then it became sort of a hit. And all of these executives came out of the woodwork. Oh, geez. Wanting to claim notes. credit, giving yep. you notes. They didn't give a damn earlier. I- now it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's ours. Mm hmm. And it, and that's when it starts getting ugly. People start worrying they're going to lose their jobs. And so they try to undermine you. Yep. And all sorts of weird political stuff takes place. Uh, and they, it's... That's where it gets gross. That's where it gets gross. Yeah. 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 It's really just... Yeah. I, I can I can definitely understand the, the lore of it, but then also yeah. the pullback. From it's such it. a double-edged sword. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Because... I mean, everyone really wants to, everyone wants that sort of opportunity. 
Yeah. But they also want to have that sort of, I guess, like safety net of saying just like, oh, if I only got my shot, then I would do do this, yeah. this, this, and this. Yeah. They don't want to actually say like, okay, get go into it. Then all of a sudden you're Nicholson and Batman. Just like, me? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And then what? you saw what happened to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's a big thing. It's a yeah. big thing. And you suddenly realize the stakes are so high. Mm-hmm. And especially in network TV. Yeah. Well, I suppose everywhere, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty crazy experience, but good and bad, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, I, I, do re- I do remember that I was so stressed out all the time mm-hmm. and everybody's so stressed out. Everyone acts yeah. like they're writing the nuclear codes and it's just TV, but yeah. it still feels like end of the world when things aren't working. Right, because you because you feel like if I mean, something that you've been building and building and building towards, if it's yeah. not working out, then it's just like, yeah, well, I I don't have any other skills. Like what what am I? Yeah, like, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. So like, and when you can sort of dreams, you, know? you sort of feel the conspiracy that goes going on around you, but you're not oh. really sure who the good yeah. guys and the bad guys are. Right, right. <laughs> oh man, it's like, like a. Detective Again, just like you said, thriller. double-edged sword is a perfect way is a perfect way to look at it. Yeah, you can it it can it can be it can be a dream come true. It can be a nightmare. That's and right. And it's really just it all depends on what kind of room you walk into. Yep. And yep. Yeah. And it's not. It's I understand why they want playwrights so often mm-hmm. because playwrights are capable of creating their own entire universe in a play, as opposed to like maybe essay writers or short story writers or something like that. Yeah. But I think playwrights playwrights have a hard time with that environment because they're not used to all the interference and not yeah. used to the bad behavior and theater's a much gentler animal. But it also the great thing about theater and it's something that I I discovered myself when I got to adapt one of my one of those one of my books into an audio drama which oh. is like you have the you have those limitations that force you to be creative. Yes. So yes. Like when, yes. So it's not like when, when you're on the stage and you only have so much to work with, you got to yeah. work with what you got. Yeah. That's and right. so like when you do an audio drama, you don't have big budget special effects or anything to play off of. Yeah. You have your, you have dialogue, you have sound effects, you have music. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what you got to work with. You got to right. build a story around that. And, How exciting! That's fun, though, isn't oh, it? It's, oh, it's, it was it was wonderful. It's one of the most amazing creative experiences of my life to to do this, especially when I was told that I only had an hour to tell a story that gets told as an audiobook in seven hours. So, Holy moly! Yeah. Well, so talk about doing some compression on it the was, fly. It, no, not on the fly. Thankfully, okay. like, it was like I I worked on on this script for like about six months, well, about five months before I finally delivered it, and it was during the rehearsals. That's when we realized, like, okay, how about two hours instead of one hour? So, <laughs> then it just became because we just couldn't uh, that far. It was only so far that it can get compressed, and mm-hmm. thankfully everything worked out the way that it did. And it wound up being just an amazing experience, but the, but I am, but I'm right there with you when it comes to, when it comes to playwrights, when it comes to screenwriters, like when it comes to TV writers, everyone's got limitations, whether it's time, budget, whether it's the effects, whether it's the venue, whatever it is. And theater's always been my sanctuary. 
Yeah. I've always felt like when things weren't working, I always went back to theater and there was always something for me there. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, theater is, you probably know, it's hitting mm-hmm. some really hard times right now. There are theaters closing all over the country. There's mm-hmm. a lot of firings going on within theaters and, and they're all like reducing their the size of their seasons. And mm-hmm. it's not as easy to do anymore as it used to yeah. be. So I think that's one other reason why I thought... Hmm, what else is there? I think yeah. I'll write a novel. <laughs> there you go. And so one of one of the other things I was really curious about is not only your experience with 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 writing for television, but you've done network and cable as well for for different uh, different screenplays. What has your experience has been when it comes to that? Like regarding comparing working with say like someone with CBS versus a company like Lifetime. What was the difference there? CBS pays a lot better and, and as better than streaming and all that. Oh, the writers mm-hmm. have just gotten a better deal than they had Thankfully, before, yeah. which is which is good. But it's still nothing. Network still pays more, a lot mm-hmm. more. And residuals are so much better. Yeah. My lifetime thing, I didn't. I don't feel like I experienced that so much. Um, it was. I wasn't in the trenches with the lifetime project. With CBS, I was a writer and a producer. And I was in charge of, when it was my episode, I was in charge of or involved in every aspect of production from scouting locations to casting to being down on the floor during all the shooting and, and yeah. being the go-to person when somebody was having trouble with dialogue or something. Mm-hmm. That's a great feeling. That's, mm, yeah. that's, that's the kind of thing that you want is to feel like this is mine and I get to craft it. And mm-hmm. that's going away too, by the way. There are really? so few people now writing for TV who actually get to so few writers who get to be down on the floor with their own episode. Even w- even with the need for like, different punch ups every now and then. Yes, even really? with that need, they will not have the person who wrote the, wrote the episode there. They'll go straight to the exec or the co exec, and oh, the person man. who wrote it. I don't, I realize now how very lucky I was that that because you got to learn down there. Yeah. We watch what they were doing, talk to the DP. It was now the writers are very isolated mm. and it's, it's change. It's a shame. Yeah, that really is. That really is. And I so, think that was why when the, when the 2008 writer strike happened, yeah, uh, a bunch of people gathered together and said, let's make, let's make movies. Let's make mm. little movies while this is going on, we knew it was going to be a long time. And so my AD from Ghost Whisperer was my AD for the sh- a short film that I wrote and produced. Oh, no kidding. And I got great people to be in it. And I got a great DP. And it was, it was a great experience. But I wouldn't have known how to do all that stuff if I hadn't been out on the floor with, with Ghost Whisperer and learning the ropes. And the great thing about that short film is that that was yours. That was, that was a project that you got to shepherd yeah. and you got to just work on that yourself. And that's that, right. That's, that's a, that's a beautiful thing too. Is and everybody was just to happy that. to be working because it was a long strike and nobody had anything to do. <laughs> so <laughs> one thing, and I wasn't paying anybody, but I just made really? sure we had excellent catering. Oh, I nice. fed them the best food. So oh. everybody was happy. Yeah. No, oh, that's we, getting paid. we couldn't get paid because no. it would have been scabbing. So, oh, I see. Okay. Yes. So it, it, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a matter of like trying to secure like a budget or anything like that. It was just the fact that you. Couldn't I mean, I it. did spend some yeah. money, but it wasn't on 
the normal stuff. Yeah. We were able to pay them retroactively like afterwards or was it just, you know, not much. It's not like I made any money or anything. It was really more, everybody needed to be busy. Everybody needed to be doing something. Mm. And they liked the story enough that they were willing to be in it. It was Garrett Dillahunt. He's been in a lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. No Country for Old Men. He was in mm. Marin Hinkle from Marvelous Miss Maisel. Oh, nice. Bye. Yeah. We were just having a great time. Oh, that's excellent. But that's how you learn. That's how you learn. Mm-hmm. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. So say there's someone out there just like like me, <laughs> someone who who start who was who had experience with acting, found that uh, writing was more fulfilling, just decided to go in that direction, but in my case, I was pretty much like flailing. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I, I figured I've kind of figured out myself along the way. And a lot of it was a lot of trial and error and trying to get myself into, into different situations that wound up eventually getting mm-hmm. me into novel writing. But I'd also done some screenwriting on my own, but that was yeah. just me kind of like teaching myself the craft. Yeah. I, reading screenplays, watching the movies and everything, and really wanting to go in that direction. And then the novel part came in just because the screenplays weren't going anywhere. Yeah. See, I I swear that's how it happens. It's not so much like the light bulb moment. It's like, I've hit a wall. I'd better Mm -hmm. turn. Yeah, exactly. So is is that what you would recommend to someone who, if they were in the same sort of situation where they they built up some skills, but they just don't know where to go from there? It's really funny. They talk about how the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah. I think one has to recognize when one's getting a little insane. You just can't keep going on doing it this way. There's got to be another way. What can mm-hmm. it be? Yeah. And that you should come to that sooner than later because mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to be nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you really are. I def- I've, I've definitely gotten plenty of experience in that, in that realm as well. <laughs> so, and uh, so where can, where can my listeners find you on social media? Well, I've got a I've got a uh, website which is katherinebutterfield.com. Mm-hmm. I've got you can get my book on Amazon. It's mm-hmm. called The Serpent and the Rose and you can get it on Amazon and everywhere else. And I'm on Facebook under what she's writing now, Katherine nice. Butterfield. And cool. yeah, and Instagram and all that stuff. Excellent. I don't have a blog yet. I suppose I should have a blog. Everybody seems to have a blog. But well, I th- there, there's either a blog or a, or a vlog. Or do what you're the, doing. Or, yeah. I mean, the, it's, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful experience doing, doing this podcast. And I'll bet it has. How long have you, you been doing this? I've been doing this since October of 2018. And See, look at you. Yep. I mean, that's, that's an example of what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, it's been it's been over 250 episodes. I'm having wow. I'm still have I'm still having as much fun as it as I was when I first started. The the podcast network is almost 1 year old and I am really excited about that and there's there is a lot there's a lot happening. So I'm Yeah. This this doesn't this doesn't happen if I don't if I didn't decide. If you didn't have to, enough to faith in yourself to know I can do this, I can do mm-hmm. it on a regular basis and I can attract people. Yeah. To come to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to believe in yourself. And you're here. So obviously it's yeah. working. <laughs> it's working. Tell all my friends. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. And I, 
I hope I not only hope that Catherine tells all of her friends, but I hope that all of you are telling your friends to listen to this show, to listen to the Once Upon a Podcast Network. And just as Catherine said right at the beginning, make your life interesting. Yeah. And when when you have these situations, when you have these roadblocks, when you have these walls in front of you, find ways to get around them. Find find ways to get through them even, but get from one side of that wall to the other. Because yeah. once you do, you're going to find yourself on a path that you have always wanted to be on. Yeah. And it will, no matter what, whether it's whether it winds up being whether the environment that you're entering into is positive, whether it's negative, it definitely will be interesting and, <laughs> and it will be taking you one step further to where you want to be. Yeah. There's a window somewhere. You just have to look for it. Exactly. Exactly. You got to find that window. You go through it. And what's going to happen once you go through that window, you are going to make your life interesting. Right. And that's what I want for all of you. I know that's what Catherine wants for all of you. And I just want the very best for for everyone to really find your creative outlet and see it through on your own Excelsior journey. So for Catherine Butterfield, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.